Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 75 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. And today's episode is one that is often such a source of confusion and maybe even controversy and getting quite a buzz in our community, carb cycling in your ketogenic diet. So Allie here along with Becky. Hi, everyone. And carb cycling with whole foods, meaning real single ingredient foods, (laughs) in a strategic manner can definitely allow you to take advantage of all of the keto benefits like appetite suppression, still getting optimized fat burn, boundless energy, the brain boosting effects and mood stabilizing influence without wrecking the systems that need maybe a moderate amount of carbs to function properly. So today we're going to talk to you about what those systems are, which individuals are a good fit for carb cycling and which people want to kind of la 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 and keep staying keto strong and not look back. Yes. So when I first started hearing about this in the keto community and playing with this myself, it seemed a little bit counterintuitive. So like giving wine to an alcoholic. (laughs) For sure. And I think that for many people that are doing a ketogenic lifestyle, a lot of them are doing this because of food addiction. And so, you know, if you are doing this because you were in Overeaters Anonymous or you have history of being a binge eater and you have true addiction to food, carb cycling may not be a good idea. Um, We'll also talk about for those people how carb cycling may be a good idea because it takes that power away from this food that you can't have. You know, it's like the food is on the pedestal and it's just kind of sparkling out there and you can't look, can't touch. Um, But there are people that have a non-emotional reasoning for doing ketogenic diet if they're doing it for PCOS or hormone balance, cognitive function, and just really optimizing whole body health, using strategic carb cycling might be that little part that's missing from getting whole body success. Yeah. And I think that's where we've seen the most benefit, or I've seen the most benefit at least is more with our hormonal balance and thyroid patients for sure. And it's really, it's so individualized. So Um, this can work for some and and certainly not work for others. Yep. And just like anything, that's why we don't recommend something as a one plus two equals three, you know, based on the individual, they might find that carb cycling works more for them in a particular season or during a different stress period. And they may then go two to three months without carb cycling at all. And it's really listening to the rhythm and the feedback of your digestive system, your blood sugar metabolism, what happens on the scale and fluid changes and then hormonal change for sure. Yes. And I think this is kind of an epic episode. We're at number 75. Isn't that amazing? That feels feels pretty, pretty legit, Becky. It actually does. (laughs) And I think I've been with the podcast since 42. So yeah, almost half of its, its life. Um, 
But let's, let's lay down a little bit of history um, because I don't think you've fully shared your background with ketosis and how you've actually used it in practice for almost a decade now, Allie. Yeah. So, um, you know, I learned about the ketogenic diet actually when I was at Bestier University. Um, so <clears throat> back in 2007, and um, that's when I personally was transitioning from a vegan diet to a more paleo approach diet. And I had to dig into and find research to support that saturated fats wouldn't kill me, <laughs> you know, because all of the indoctrination of the vegan mindset. Um, and that's where, you know, we really started to find a lot of the amazing research that was coming out just kind of at that time uh, um, from Bullock and Finney and um, starting to see the benefits of a carbohydrate restricted diet versus a calorie restricted diet and the influence and the beneficial outcomes of fat on a neurological level. So uh, when I became a registered dietitian, I started working for a physician's group, and they were actually hiring for a dietitian that had a background in um, supplements, a, a working knowledge with nutritional supplements and you know, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and wanted to lead a ketogenic weight loss group. So it was what's called a VLCD which is a very low carbohydrate diet program, or some actually call it a very low calorie diet program. This was both. It was 800 calories and it was less than 60 grams of carbs. So actually a little higher than most people when they do a real food ketogenic program. Um, and it was all shakes. So they did you know, these meal replacements essentially. And the only way that I would take the job <laughs> was luckily the physician had already opened an account with Metagenics. So I was very familiar with that company. Uh, it's a supplement line out of Gig Harbor, Washington and be that, you know, best year in Seattle and all of the kind of internetworkings of that family. So that was a good buy-in for me of, okay, this is a quality company. I'm on board with this. Um, and then, you know, I said, well, I'll do this, I'll do these. And the shakes were not from Metagenics. They were a gnarly company that I won't bash, but, um, I said, I'll do this if I can start transitioning them to whole real foods at week six and we'll keep them ketogenic, you know, for the first six months, but we'll transition them to whole real foods. And I'm going to talk to them about grass fed and I'm going to talk to them about, you know, things like bone broth. And I'm going to talk to them about things like braising greens and all these different, um, you know, therapeutic ways of staying ketogenic with real food. So she agreed and said, I don't think it's going to work with this population, <laughs> but we kind of hit the ground running in that sense. And it was a 52 week program. So the individuals would sign up for an entire year um, to do this, this ketogenic program. Wow. And then I know some of the participants in this program had a lot of weight to lose, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are uh, shocked. One of the um, most of the BMIs, you know, you had to qualify for a BMI of over 30 and you guys know that that's not my favorite marker cause it's just a calculation of weight and height. But generally speaking, most people in the program had BMIs of over 50, which is, you know, what they call morbidly obese. And, um, I had a patient that was, uh, I think 642 when she started the program. So, you know, over 600 pounds. Um, and it, it wasn't abnormal to have a, a lot of the clients over 300 pound marker. And, um, yeah, we did, you know, six months tight keto control and within often the first three to six months, we would see 80 plus pounds of weight loss. I mean, it was a really awesome opportunity to get deep into 
metabolic research and the workings of fat as fuel and playing with fasting and things like that with a population that had a really great need. So it was kind of, they, were, they would choose this program either as an adjuvant or tool in addition to bariatric surgery or as a replacement and do this intensive diet program instead of bariatric surgery. Um, and it was, it was great for what it was worth, but you know, fast forward to me starting my own clinic, Naturally Nourished in 2011, I of course continued the benefits of the ketogenic diet in my clinic, but did away with the shake thing and just started it with real food because that was, it's a hard stepping stone. And, and I understand that the mechanisms of breaking up with food, but as we'll talk about today with carb cycling, you know, there is an emotional element to all foods. And so you have to honor and, and accept that. And, you know, I always say that the, the, you know, stages of change, there is the, um, you know, moment change, then there's the environmental change. And then to make a change permanent, it's the emotional and underlying elements of, you know, what is our reward? What is our um, connection? And what is our self-saboteur? And how does that play a role within our weight loss success? So um, I maintained using keto as a tool in my practice and still do to date, of course. And um, we would do something called level two um, as a low glycemic diet transition. And this is something that we would either transition all people to, or we would use this intermittently. And the funny thing is, is I was never really sure if I could still call that keto. You know, it's like, it was kind of like, well, what is that? That's low glycemic and this is keto and you have to choose between banks of the river. And that's, what's really exciting with kind of the transitions that have come out in the keto world. And I think Leanne Vogel being a huge champion of that, of, you know, you can carb cycle in keto. And I think We've done this with the weightlifters and, you know, that cyclic ketogenic diet as far as uh, bodybuilders, but in the more kind of tight control, it was something that I thought was a separate element to ketosis. So kind of a cool thing. Right. And even in our, our virtual keto program, we've always had the kind of six weeks of tight level one or, or phase one and then right. the low glycemic phase two, but maybe we just call it all keto, right? Right. Well, then it's like, you have to distinguish it because right. one is less than 30 grams of carbs. One is upwards of 60. And it's just that I think you don't have to necessarily segregate yourself on one team or the other, <laughs> that you can use them fluidly, which is kind of a cool thing to consider. Sure. And then going back just kind of into history. Um, so you were doing all of this before keto was even a known term kind of in the diet realm. And really the only place I think it was being applied um, clinically was more so with, with epilepsy. I know that's how I first heard about the ketogenic diet and that's all I ever heard about in school. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I, I would lecture at University of Houston um, in my early onset and I would always do slides on ketosis and, you know, people kind of raise <laughs> their eyebrow at me and it was, it was kind of radical. Um, I remember being interviewed by the Houston Chronicle against a top lipidologist or cardiologist in the Texas Medical Center. And I, I had the anti-statin argument <laughs> in a uh, discussion about statin drugs. And I also had the pro-dietary cholesterol stance. And it was so cool that I was able to reference, you know, up to date. That was uh, in April. I had pulled the research study from April 2009, the study by Volokh and Finney that 
noted, the title of the study was carbohydrate restriction has a more favorable impact on the metabolic syndrome than the low fat diet. And it was like, ha, <laughs> you know, it's really cool to have these tools and, um, you know, to be able to talk on a platform to physicians and other practitioners about how carb restriction regulates insulin and regulating insulin being the key pinnacle shift of regulating metabolic syndrome. Um, and it, it just, I think, is now finally with some of the great leaders that have gotten these national book platforms out there, we're finally starting to have that conversation on a wider scope. Yes. And, you know, back in 2009, I, I don't, I was just getting into nutrition and, you know, just starting to dabble in, I think I was still a, a vegan <laughs> juice head at that time. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, this study definitely wasn't included in my curriculum um, at, in school. It definitely wasn't any part of that or spoken about. And you're in a couple different schools. And, you know, I think that everything is different and it just depends on, you know, who your professor is. I mean, the, the cool thing that I saw at U of H is when I would lecture there that um, Dr. Bodhi had uh, at least Gary, to Gary Taub's good calories, bad calories in her curriculum. And I thought that was really cool. And, you know, I mean, it just kind of depends on who's leading the pack. Cause I remember I presented um, in my dietetic internship on yogurt enemas and <laughs> did an elective lecture on grass-fed pasture raised and then ended up doing a, a grass-fed cow share with her. So I, I think that, um, you know, there, there was evolution happening at that time, but I, but I think that I was kind of the, the person in that area driving the waves <laughs> in some sense. Yeah, definitely. And actually, yeah, taking her class at U of H, um, we didn't do good calories, bad calories, but I'm familiar. We did read the newer book and I'm picturing the cover and I'm not remembering. It's a New York Times um, bestseller uh, on saturated fat and getting away from Lipid that. hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that one. It was something else, but hmm. close to that. Yeah. Yeah. But on the lipid hypothesis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you had really used keto, started to use it clinically with real food, um, but you were kind of battling it with this transition or, you know, wondering if people should go to low glycemic or maintain at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So like we were starting to say, we, we had this phase one, phase two protocol in uh, naturally nourished. And um, I, I still do in my virtual ketosis program. And so basically I have people jump into keto six to 12 weeks without interruption. So tight, tight, tight keto control for six to 12 weeks. And then um, what I would generally do is at that 13th week, transition them to low glycemic for about three to four weeks and then back into keto. And, and you know, I'd customize it based on the individual. So some people would do 12 weeks tight keto, one week low glycemic, and then back into keto. Um, and, you know, overall, I, I saw that there was really beneficial pieces of both ends of the equation. And it really depended on the age of the individual, the stress level of the individual, the exercise of the individual, you know, how they emotionally felt with the transitions of their foods of, you know, having fruits on an occasion or having sweet potato on occasion. And, um, you know, I, I was specific when I put out naturally nourished and, um, to put out that cookbook to have KF or ketosis friendly dishes, but also make sure that it wasn't exclusively a ketogenic cookbook. Um, and there weren't many out there at that time either, but you know, because I wanted to have non keto dishes that 
would appeal to people across the board. So you could teach people about ketosis that aren't keto yet, but then also for people to use during carb cycling um, or lower glycemic transition. So um, that was a really big kind of purposeful intention. And I remember when I was at KetoCon and selling my book, I felt like every time someone touched it, I had to like be like, oh, it's not fully ketogenic, you know, <laughs> because right, like, if they don't, open don't to look at the overnight oats. The desserts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, to kind of disclaimer that. But it's something I think truly that I'm really proud of because it overarches the entire piece of what is whole nourishing excuse me, what is whole nourishing foods? And like I said, you know, you can be dipping your toe into the coconut poached pears with ginger, and that may help you sleep through the night if you're dealing with insomnia because of serotonin drops because of low tryptophan from carb restriction from being too tight keto for over six months. And maybe you're someone who needs that neurotransmitter push. So, you know, it's, it's really about listening to your body and like I said, you know, when I heard Leanne speak about carb cycling, I was like, oh, that's a term. This is a thing. It, this is cool. So, so this is legit. Now I can like say that loudly that carbs aren't going to kill you, <laughs> but there still are benefits you can get from a low carbohydrate diet while using carbs in a moderate way. Sure. And we'll make sure to link to our episode with Leanne because I think there's a lot of gems there. Um, I did on yeah. a side note, remember the name of the book, um, okay. <laughs> the, the big fat surprise. Okay. Um, okay. Um, it's a New York times bestseller and, um, gets really deep into kind of the root of where low fat, um, diets kind of took off from and, and all of that. But that's the name of the book I was trying to remember. And, and that's, you know, just a kind of sidebar before we get into the nitty gritty of, of carb cycling. And, and that's something that across the board, my stance is tight on the fact that fats should always drive your macros. So even if in my perspective, when I'm allowing some allowing, I guess, um, but you know, uh, recommending moderate carb intake, they're always still dominant in fat. Um, and so, you know, that whole eat fat, get skinny and fats as your dominant fuel, it just is going to depend on if fats are 70% of your macros or if they're, you know, 50% of your macros, but fat dominance is always going to be the foundation of my recommendations. Yes. And I, I know people are dying to just hear your perspective on carb ups, but let's start off just with keto 101 for listeners that are jumping in right now. Um, and although we're huge proponents of its benefits, let's also talk about, you know, when the ketogenic diet might drive imbalance in the body. Okay. So, you know, Ketosis is the state of primarily using fat as fuel. So typically in the state of a ketogenic diet, the individual is restricting their carbs to less than 10% of their calorie distribution um, and sometimes even lower. And generally speaking, we tend to use the number of less than 30 grams of total carbs per day. What this does is this reduces the body's glucose levels, which reduces the body's insulin signaling. And then the body, after about 72 hours, 
three days or so of this carbohydrate restriction of less than 30 grams a day, the body starts to produce ketones. And um, ketones are made by the liver. They're manufactured as um, from a byproduct of uh, precursor of DHEA, which is a steroid hormone. And um, ketones have a lot of beneficial influence in the body. So when we start to produce ketones, some really cool things happen. We can see muscle sparing and enhanced fat burn, which means that we get accelerated body composition change without dropping our metabolic rate. So when you lose weight on the scale, that weight should be more sustained versus if you just calorie restrict, you're going to lose from muscle. And so your metabolism drops as well. So you get the muscle sparing effect with fat burn. We can often see favorable hormone shifts. So typically when insulin goes down, HGH goes up. So our human growth hormone, which is going to help with things like testosterone expression. We can see beneficial hormone shifts like reduction in excess estrogen because we know that our adipocytes or our fat cells have estrogenic properties to them. We can see a reduction in reactive oxygen species in the brain, so literally less brain inflammation. And we can see enhanced neurogenesis, so new brain pathways and synapse function being seen with a higher fat diet. Um, ketones are really like a high octane fuel source for brain health, so huge benefits there. And then within that kind of piece, they tend to sit on the excitatory pathways in the brain, which is why the ketogenic diet first kind of claim to fame was in epilepsy. So the way that ketones actually sit on the excitatory pathways and can block seizure activity is the same way that actually ketones can reduce anxiety and provide a very grounding, even keeled mood stability, which is why my anti-anxiety diet that I'm in the trenches with and almost done with putting out um, has actually dun, 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 phase one, phase two <laughs> of a ketogenic, you know, real kickstart, if you will, into managing anxiety. Um, and so definitely there can be some mood stability and then generalized inflammation we can see that there's a huge influence of um, inflammation going down, CRP levels to drop with a ketogenic diet. And then the last thing I'll mention is satiety. So ketones actually help to regulate ghrelin and CCK, which are the main hormones that control hunger and satiety. And we tend to see favorable leptin effects. Um, but leptin kind of comes with a bump, 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 and <laughs> kind of opens the door to, to carb cycling. Got it. So that's maybe where we get into the next piece of, of imbalance. Um, but this is all amazing. This is why we have a virtual ketosis program and you know why we have our Eat Fat Get Skinny ebook, why we have so many delicious keto-friendly recipes in the Naturally Nourished Cookbooks. Um, but I know one of my favorite phrases of yours, Allie, one that I've experienced in my own life for sure, is that doctrine creates disconnect. So yes. <laughs> let's talk about that in terms of, of keto and when that can create imbalance and we might need to cycle out of keto for a little bit. Yeah. So that's so, so true. I mean, anything, if we lock and load into a protocol and our body is giving us signals of hello, help, <laughs> um, we need to listen and understand the what's and why. So the biggest areas of need often 
of where long-term carbohydrate restriction can drive imbalance over time can be seen with hypothyroidism and specifically more so Hashimoto's. We can see also issues with chronic fatigue syndrome and adrenal fatigue, um, especially if we're starting to experience insomnia, as I mentioned, with the kind of tryptophan connection. Uh, women in general, I will say, tend to be more susceptible and, um, you know, a lot of this, so if we're starting to see amenorrhea or a loss of our period, if we're starting to see breakthrough bleeding, if we're starting to see dynamic shifts in cycles, I often say that if you're using keto to regulate your sexual hormones, give yourself three months actually of tight keto before you go into carb cycling so that you can at least eight weeks, but maybe three months truly, so that you can at least kind of see how your body resets. Now, if a woman is at an ideal body weight, they may start carb cycling at six weeks if they're starting to have hormonal change because that may be more distressful to their system if they don't have that body fat to support. But, but generally, when we see hormone shifts that are unfavorable, that's a marker of a need for a little bit of carb support. And then dynamic mood shifts. Um, so uh, panic attacks that start after six weeks into keto, um, dynamic anxiety or depression, also insomnia picking up in that world, uh, brain fog and um, memory loss. Those are also signs of maybe over-restriction. And then also if we're dealing with you know, a weight stall, if it's someone that does have enough body fat or weight to lose, and they're stalling at, you know, six to eight weeks of tight keto with no budge, uh, or if they're at a low body weight, like I mentioned before, and they've been doing keto for tight eight weeks, they probably need to consider the carb cycling. So these would be examples of our body kind of screaming at us for, you know, a change or that um, keto isn't working beyond just like the keto flu that we've all heard of, of the right. first couple of weeks. These are kind of more serious signals if we start to lose our cycle or um, see some of these other concerns crop up. Right, right, for sure. Okay. So out of these populations, um, what happens with keto? Why would keto be um, potentially not harmful, but imbalancing in this in this case, um, and why would carbs be required to balance things out? Yeah, so you know, it's usually some of the same mechanisms of why keto is so awesome. It's just that those go a little bit steam train <laughs> and need to be vented, if you will. Um, so you know, this happens because the body in that individual may start to perceive a ketogenic diet as over restrictive or as a mimic of starvation mode, um, and so they start to get dysregulation of metabolic signals and those start to fire unfavorably for the individual. So, you know, when we have perceived starvation, the body shifts from the benefits of things like autophagy and regeneration and fat burn to releasing certain hormones in the body or hormone levels start to get so depleted that signals start to drive hunger again, signals start to drive um, dysregulation and, and errors in cortisol metabolism or overdrive the HPA access in a survival fight or flight mode um, because the body starts to kind of get scared from the scarcity of fuel if the body isn't 
uh, fat adapted and finding its rhythm. So, you know, you can be fat adapted and be in cruise control. And probably the first line of defense for these individuals that we listed is making sure, A, are they getting enough calories is probably the first thing, you know? And so the first thing we would think of, especially if they're new to keto, is up your fats, you know? So up your fats and maybe stop intermittent fasting. If you're someone that was like just doing keto coffee every day, five days a week or something like that, and doing those 16 eights or even 18 sixes, upping your fats and shifting away from fasting can help to tell the body like, okay, fuel is here. But when we look at the effects of leptin, which is this satiety hormone, often leptin signaling needs a little bit of carbohydrate loving to bring sexual hormones and inflammation back on track. Yes. And I think that's one of the things we see with keto is kind of the, the more is more um, yes. <laughs> mentality of like, I'm going to fast. If, if Allie tells me to fast, Ellen Becky tell me to fast three days, let me just fast all seven days because I feel pretty good. Or if they tell me 1200 calories, let me go to 900 and kind of push that envelope. And that's usually where we see the dysfunction start. Totally. And often, you know, it, ha- it tends to be type A individuals go yes. for <laughs> um, You know that, yeah, I mean, like literally like they're fasting and they're like, oh, well, it's noon. I could go another hour, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it's really pushing, like you said, the envelope. I think that's a great phrase of, of the body's capabilities. And often those individuals are also under other dynamic stressors because type A's aren't just doing a ketogenic diet, they're also probably working as attorneys or, you know, um, yeah, like a, writing a book or something. <laughs> sure, <laughs> right. Right. No, but right. All of the things. Um, and there's other players that are driving distress and, and signaling in their body saying help. Um, so that could actually just add fuel to the flame, if you will. Okay. Awesome. So, Let's get into, um, I think, this connection of, of leptin and sexual hormones plus inflammation plus thyroid is all so interesting. So let's start out just with defining what leptin is for our listeners that are, are new to hearing this as a hormone. And then let's talk about leptin resistance. Okay. So uh, yeah, the, the easiest way to kind of explain this is let's think of insulin. And again, the key of you know, one of the, the key of what was so remarkable to me when I learned about the ketogenic diet was the fact that we can downregulate insulin signaling. So typically prior to keto, most individuals eating, even not, you know, most people, of course, from a standard American diet are super high carb, but even people that are doing like paleo or healthy quote unquote eating um, probably is eating somewhat high carb. And definitely, if they have elevated body fat or inflammation in their body, they're going to have leptin resistance. So it's that same thing, like I mentioned you know, earlier, is insulin resistance tends to happen with excessive carbohydrates. So the body responds with too much insulin, and then that drops blood sugar, which creates increased hunger, which creates frequent eating, which creates weight gain. And with weight gain means more belly fat. And with more body and belly fat, the insulin doesn't dock as effectively. So that drives more insulin signaling. And over time, we get that insulin resistance. And that's kind of pre-diabetes. So with this same idea, leptin tends to kind of follow suit with insulin. So an individual that has a higher carbohydrate diet and has elevated body fat 
likely has elevated leptin levels as well. And it's important to note as well that inflammation interferes with leptin signals. So CRP, we've actually seen research studies that CRP, which is a blood marker of inflammation, actually interferes or kind of blocks the signaling of leptin. So the body doesn't get the signaling of I'm satisfied. And so that's where obesity can play a big turn is there's no satiation. So the individual keeps eating. Um, and so inflammation can drive interference with that satiety hormone. So a ketogenic diet, which can reduce inflammation um, and reduces carbohydrates, can reduce leptin resistance. So that's a good thing. You know, we go from too much to starting to reduce that leptin resistance into what's called leptin sensitivity. And this is where we get that bliss keto high of losing our appetite because we go from some level of leptin resistance to all of a sudden leptin sensitivity. And now we're just getting that uh, kind of key in the lock hole saying we're satisfied, we're satisfied, we're satisfied. And this is where people can do keto and eat one meal a day and fast the rest of the day because they have that leptin sensitivity and that optimized leptin function. However, over time, so you go from resistance, which is you know too much, to sensitivity, which is that sweet spot of that leptin ding-donging the doorbell. And then over time, we can go from leptin sensitivity to leptin depletion. Um, and so, you know, especially like I mentioned, in the people that are of an ideal body weight that don't have a lot of body fat to lose, they can start to then get things like sluggish thyroid function and cycle shifts, um, hormonal imbalance. They start to get hunger signaling again and immune dysregulation because there's actually, you know, leptin receptors throughout the body. Primarily, leptin hits us in the hypothalamus, which is a part of the brain that also regulates homeostasis. So our sleep cycles, our circadian rhythm, our fight or flight mechanism. So when the, homeost the, the homeostasis is thrown off because of leptin imbalance, all of those things can start to see dysfunction as well. Okay, and then I know that the ovarian connection is probably one of the more important areas or, or one of the primary places that you, Allie, will insert carb cycling based on menstruation. Yes, so leptin receptors have been identified in our ovaries as well as our pre-ovulatory ovulatory, excuse me, follicles. So there are leptin receptors within our female human anatomy and our reproductive hormones are very tightly bound or intertwined with leptin's regulation signals. So if we go into leptin depletion, we miss that influence of our leptin to regulate and support sexual hormone expression. And then also the connection of that is the body is in higher stress mode during menstruation and during ovulation. So, you know, a couple kind of thought processes of, of where I insert carbs and generally I recommend them and personally how I do this, um, aside from when I'm writing a book <laughs> is, um, in the crunch zone, um, is I look at days 19 and 20 and days one and two of the cycle. So actually we're looking at the first couple days of menstruation and then we're actually looking at post ovulation, 
Um, and this is the secretory phase. So the lowest levels of leptin are seen in research during the secretory phase and um, during menstruation, whereas the highest levels are during that luteal phase, which is you know, where we should really see um, more ovulation activity. So um, I'm kind of balancing out the body in the times of those natural dips of leptin drops to support the system. And you know, when the body is shedding uterine lining in, in your menstruation, or the body is supposed to be implanting an egg if it was fertilized, those are high um, caloric times in the body. They're high demand times. There's a lot of increased demand on the body during those times. So doing a strategic carb up or carb cycle in those windows will support harmony in the body and reduce that distress signaling and reset leptin by giving a little bit of insulin activity. So insulin actually stimulates leptin synthesis. So by giving our body carbs, we're going to increase our glucose in the bloodstream, which is going to stimulate insulin, which is going to help to create leptin. Okay, so I'm thinking about, you know, something I hear clinically all the time and have experienced personally is like that kind of couple days before your cycle, that insatiable hunger or like keto no longer sounds as wonderful and appealing. So it's maybe that's just our body telling us we need a little leptin hit. Yeah. I mean, it, it truly could. I mean, there's, like I said, you know, beyond the part of the brain, leptin does so many things throughout the body. And if you are reducing, 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 that is a signal. Hunger is a signal. And that can be regulated by that part of the brain that's trying to say we're in starvation mode. You know, we can also see a need for leptin if the thyroid, like the T3 starts to drop, that's because the body's perceiving starvation. And so we need to do that focused reset to kind of fill the tank to tell the body, you're okay, you can go back into burn mode. And I do see that even with people that have a lot of weight to lose, you know, 50 plus pounds, when they're at that stagnation, carb cycling once a week or every other week is usually enough just to kind of fill the tank, maybe get some glycogen storage fillage, get some uh, insulin signaling to replete that leptin, and then we get to wring out that sponge. It's kind of how I, I talk to, it, to clients. It's like if the sponge is just at a trickle mode and there's nothing to squeeze, we need to refill it so we can kind of wring it out again. And that's where we can get some whooshing on the scale as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and that is a time that we see, you know, if someone's at a stall, we often see after a carb cycle you know, three, four days after or something, a dynamic shift in their weight. Yep. And, you know, I think that the unfortunate issue is they tend to go the other way. <laughs> so when they're getting the stall, then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do a three-day fast with water. Restrict, restrict, restrict. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, we have to listen to the body. If you're losing your hair, if your thyroid is getting off further, if you're dealing with insomnia, you know, all these things, your body needs just a little bit of carb reset, and then you're going to get that benefit of ketosis again. Awesome. So I think it's really nice to have that um, permission, I suppose it is to indulge in the foods that, you know, are healthy and, and do have a purpose like those carbohydrate foods, um, and, and beyond, you know, that sustainable and, and flexibility approach, it really aids in fertility and maximizing our hormonal health. 
Yeah. And so thinking of it, like you said, right. So there's the permission to indulge in cravings without feeling like you're quote unquote cheating or falling off. But then you're also actually maybe enhancing the function of your body, especially when we're talking about women and female hormone health. So when you work to have enhanced leptin activity and you're reducing your inflammation and you're reducing excessive insulin signaling, um, and you have that satiety, you're going to get a more balanced hypothalamic response with your FSH and your LH, and also likely with your progesterone. Because remember, that hypothalamus, which is where most of that leptin is signaling, is the gland that then stimulates the pituitary, and the pituitary regulates your FSH and your LH and tends to stimulate progesterone. And that's such a driver often when we're talking about infertility. Um, you know, low progesterone is a big piece of the puzzle with issues with miscarrying and um, actual healthy implantation of the egg. And um, when we look at the standard drugs, metformin and Clomid, as far as the main kind of line of defense for infertility, well, metformin is regulating your blood sugar mm-hmm. and your insulin, which keto does. And, you know, Clomid is the slingshot to the pituitary that blocks estrogen receptors at the hypothalamus and really drives the influence of FSH and LH. So you can do that with strategic carb cycling. Um, you know, and eat all real whole foods and not have those nasty side effect influences of both of those drugs have some pretty gnarly side effects. So, you know, you can do this whole thing with food as medicine and and being strategic. That's so freaking cool. (laughs) (laughs) Saving lives. (laughs) And making new babies. Yes, exactly. So so let's go ahead and distinguish what we'd consider carb cycling from the CKD or or cyclical ketogenic diet that's often used in bodybuilders. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. And and this would be... um, Like pounding a thing of white rice. Right. So like the carb (laughs) intake is usually way higher because we're looking for that insulin surge and that anabolic or, or growth effect. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So usually the CKD is more of like a 3-1 or it could be a 5-2 or it could be a 3-1-3. Three, three. You know, it just depends. And what I'm saying is like three days keto, one day high carb or what have you. And like you said, typically the high carb is really high carb, like over 150 grams of carbs. And I will first disclaimer this by saying, I am much more of an expert in functional medicine and the inter networking elements of the HPA axis and female hormones and thyroid and all of those things, the adrenals. So both men and women in that sense, but I am by no means an expert in bodybuilding. So if if you're a bodybuilder and you are listening to this podcast, I'm grateful for you as a listener, but you may want to head over to like ketogenic athlete with Brian Williamson and Danny Vega and take their spin on things because they're, yeah, they're both pretty well-versed in all of that. And that's not my arena, but I can say loosely that, you know, insulin and growth hormone, like I said, initially, you know, they work inversely. So by reducing insulin, you are enhancing your HGH. And we used to think, or what I was initially educated on was that, you know, you wanted to replete your glycogen stores post-workout So you'd want to do a carb intake after your workout. And the idea behind that was that that would spike your insulin and then insulin would shuttle your amino acids or your protein compounds into muscle tissue. 
to help to repair muscles. Um, but I will say like, you know, Danny Vega is a carnivore keto and he literally eats like steak only. Um, and he's pretty ripped. So (laughs) there's some mechanism going on where he's not glycogen loading. And, um, yeah, so I'm not well versed in that. All I know is with my recommendations of carb cycling, I generally actually recommend them to be closer in the evening. Now for some individuals, I'm okay with it being post-workout. I would definitely recommend post-workout over pre-workout if you were to select a time. Um, but I'm not seeing as much research about the necessity of doing that as a post-workout recovery. Um, when I'm typically bringing in a carb cycle, evening is nice because it can help with the circadian rhythm. So, you know, our cortisol is lowest in the evening. So I generally don't want you to be getting a high carb breakfast when the cortisol is the highest anyway. That's a little bit more distressing to the body's metabolic signals. And in the evening meal or post-meal dessert, if you will, you're also going to get the benefit of likely sleep quality um, because with that insulin, you're going to get um, that uh, leptin production, like I mentioned, that synthesis of leptin, but you also get the influence of tryptophan accelerating cross through the um, blood-brain barrier, which can help um, in the form of 5-HTP serotonin production, and that can help with depth of sleep and very qualitative deep sleep. Um, and this can also, uh, be very helpful when estrogen dips occur in the body. So again, kind of following that timeline, estrogen levels are, you know, highest pre-ovulation, and then they tend to kind of drop again. They're very low at days one and two, and they're also moderately low at that day 19 to 20 world. So you are kind of helping with your serotonin influence when the estrogen is lower in the body if you're a cycling female. And then we recommend typically, and, and usually this, you know, fits better into a typical day. Anyway, if you do the, the carb cycle in the evening, then the next morning you would go back to your fat fast, right? Yeah. So followed by a fast is a really great way to kind of, again, ring out and get the best bang for your buck from your carb cycle and get you back into fat adaptation or knowing that fat is there as fuel for you. And, um, you know, I, I think that also what we tend to see with the carb cycling in the evening is it can still keep tight control throughout the day and the individual doesn't feel off with their energy or their mood. Often if we have carbs earlier in the day, that can lead to like a little bit of a blood sugar crash and then we can feel a little off. So in the evening going into sleepy mode, um, can work really nice. And then you typically wake up super satiated because of that leptin synthesis. So you're like, Oh, I, I'm not even hungry. So for many people, actually, I'll even have them wait on their fat-fueled uh, beverage and just do like black coffee or tea um, and, uh, you know, or water with lemon and um, maybe they'll wait till like 10 a.m. to do the fat. And then kind of from there, they might break their fast at 1 p.m. or something like that with salad and protein or something like that. Sure. And then doing it in the evening too. It doesn't turn on the faucet for kind of like, oh, I had carbs already at breakfast. Maybe I'm going to add them at exactly. lunch right, and right, my right, snack. Right. <laughs> for sure. It's anyway. not Pandora's lid is blown off. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so how are we defining carb cycling for listeners? So, you know, the best way to stick with carbs and stay ketogenic, um, because that's the whole goal of this is that 
we're using this in the context of staying ketogenic. So again, it's not this one bank of the river on or off. It's this fluidity of a gear shift, if you will, in the body. And so the, the best way, like we said, is having them in the evening, generally once a week or twice a month and focusing on whole food quality sources. And generally I'm speaking of about 30 grams of carbs. And this would be on top of your total 30 gram restriction. So that means that your day on a carb cycling day might look like 60 upwards of 90 grams of carbs. I never recommend consumption of above 60 at a meal and generally 45 is kind of the upper limit there. Um, and so on your carb cycling day, you could add things like sweet potato, roasted butternut squash, beets, carrots, plantains cooked in coconut oil. Um, you know, low glycemic berries can be allowed within ketosis on a non-carb cycling day based on the size, but you could definitely have a larger portion. And then you can break beyond berries and do more like soluble fiber fruits, like your stone fruits, which are like plums and peaches, or incorporating pears. I mentioned our um, coconut poached pears earlier. That's an awesome recipe that works really nice. Um, generally speaking, I am kind of out on the limb with carb cycling where I'm not a fan of white rice. And, um, I, and that's kind of me personally with how I feel in my body and also GI wise. Um, but I'm not, um, truly opposed if that's something that in a world that someone really needs to step into. But generally speaking, I like to stick with the more, um, flavonoid rich, color rich, starchy vegetables and fruits, and then even higher amounts of like nut flours or paleo baked goods, you know, maybe using like banana in a nut flour muffin or um, getting higher with some of those foods. I, I like to do a recommendation of my chocolate avocado mousse, which uses dates with a whole cup of strawberries to dip. Um, and that tends to be a really nice way to get 30 grams of carbs in. So still thinking of antioxidant rich whole foods as the primary source. Yes. And, and I love that idea of maybe a, a paleo muffin or something like that, um, that has those antioxidant rich foods in it. So like a pumpkin paleo muffin, for example. Um, you know, I love that about our philosophy is that it's not dichotomous. It's not black and white. Um, and if you feel like it's reasonable to have that muffin and you stay in tight keto and, you know, maybe we put some butter or coconut butter or something on it, you might actually be able to, to even stay within ketosis on your ketone meter. Yeah. And that's something really important to note, you know? So I think that tight keto slash non-keto thing lines up for cheating. And if we're talking about real foods, I don't really like to use like the yes, no lists <laughs> as far as, you know, like, um, you can have things like my creamy carrot turmeric soup in the anti-anxiety diet book. And that is keto friendly and it has carrots in it. You know, it's like, because the whole recipe serving is less than 10 grams of carbs. And I think that's a really important thing to bring up. Becky is, um, I've had a lot of patients that are like, Oh yeah, I carb cycled. I had one of your pumpkin paleo muffins, but I didn't do the dark amber maple syrup in there. And that's fine. You know, once your, your palate adjusts, if you don't want to add natural, therapeutic sweeteners and you want to omit those in your baking, that's great, but that's not a carb cycle right. <laughs> because your muffin was only 11 grams of carbs and the rest of your day was two eggs of bacon and the other meal was salad with protein. So you still stayed, like you said, at 30 grams of carbs. You might be getting 1.4, you know, 
ketone output in your blood. Um, and so that would be okay. And that would be like a looser carb option. And some people like to do that. They like to stay keto, but just loosen up their restriction from 30 grams into 50. And some people rock with that. And then they don't have to do the strategic carb cycling. And, and that's okay too. But um, I, I just think it's important to consider for those that need that leptin refill. I had an individual that just had a leptin score of, I think it was under six in their blood. And um, I encourage carb cycling. And that's what she started doing was my like paleo pancakes and such. And I was like, I need you to have an entire 30 grams at a meal. <laughs> we had to like really like visualize it and talk through it. And there was, because that's the type A population, I think there's a lot of fear and anxiety with like this too much carbs at one sitting, you know? So like they think by just that little tablespoon of pumpkin, they're doing it. And that's not true. That's still type keto in many people. <laughs> Sure. And, and I mean, going from keto, 30 grams of carbs can seem like such an abundance. It can seem like a lot. At a meal. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, and it's also important to know, you know, like we said, so some people can stay keto at 50 grams total a day, and that still might not be carb cycling if they're not getting that 30 at one meal, the higher carb hit, because you want to get that ding dong of insulin to stimulate the leptin synthesis. So you need that. And some people, especially high output athletes, like Rob Wolf just did something on Instagram where he ate 120 grams of carbs and his blood ketones were 1.8. Well, what the he's, heck? Like, he's like a triathlete. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I don't right. know what he did for his right, right. But, but he's burning a shit ton of carbs and glucose and glycogen. And so, you know, again, it's kind of where are you at? And if you need a carb cycle, that means that you do have to go above and beyond, not just starting to loosen up on the carb, uh, carbohydrate rich foods. And one thing I really love about carb cycling, it kind of keeps the sanity and keeps you in check within a ketogenic diet. Yes. So, you know, with my personal approach, it is cyclical because my body needs at these particular stamps of day one and two and day 19 and 20. And I'm, I'm still in, you know, reset mode. And then typically on the off weeks, like if that's, you know, week two and week four, my, or what is that one? I don't know, somewhere without the 19 and 20 and the one and two, um, I'm not carb cycling at all. Um, and you know, no matter what, I'm not going to eat a refined flour food. I, I just have a really bad ROI with flour foods, especially gluten. I don't touch that because my belly <laughs> ate me. Um, we talked about that last episode. Yes. Um, but if it's structured, I feel, and, and, you know, I feel like I need to experience something and it's not on day 19 or 20, or it's not on day one and two, and it's something that's really unique. I may venture out and then I just tighten back up. And then there's other times when I might be at that same dinner scenario and I don't feel the need to experience or loosen up and I stay tight keto. And it's really just about that perception within my body and, and what I need in that time stamp and what I want and honoring that. Yes. So the best diet is often the one that, that you don't realize you're even on. Absolutely. I totally agree. <laughs> awesome. So before we get into our application of carb cycling, who should consider it? Let's have a quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that provides savings for health conscious individuals like you guys. Yes, we are thrilled to share that this episode of Naturally Nourished Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ. 
an insurance company that helps you listeners who are mindful and proactive about your wellness get lower rates on life insurance. So to get started, you can go to healthiq.com backslash Allie Miller RD to see if you qualify. So Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people. And 56 of Health IQ customers save up to 33% on their life insurance. So as the work you put into your body saves you money, we're excited to share them as an opportunity for you to get a good return on your investment for your well care. Yes, and Health IQ can save our customers that 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to those who are inactive. So that means that you guys are all listening to this when you're walking, right? Yes. Slow, <laughs> steady walks also help to lower your cortisol. <laughs> so for sure, um, we love to give you guys an opportunity to save money for the healthcare that you're already investing in with your lifestyle. So go on over to healthiq.com backslash Allie Miller RD or mention the promo code Allie Miller RD when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Awesome. So, okay. If we're thinking about carb cycling, what are some of the things to consider? So some things to go through are, you know, why are you doing ketosis, right? So if we're talking about disease risk and mechanisms of ketones versus glucose, if we are an individual that is insulin dependent and on more than one and or on more than one oral medication, uh, for diabetes regulation, we likely want to stay away from carb cycling, especially if we're in the process of weaning medications, managing our blood sugar levels, and working with insulin sensitivity. You know, and so if we're getting dynamic shifts, um, I would not recommend this strategic carb cycling. You may be on the other hand spectrum, someone who would loosen to maybe, like I said earlier, like a phase two approach where maybe you go a week at 50 grams of carbs um, or upwards of 60 and then back down to your less than 30. But what I would not recommend for the diabetics is to do that carb loading of 30 grams or more at one meal in the evening because that could drive blood sugar um, spikes in the morning. I will say with that being said, once we have reduced medication intervention and are getting really good outcomes for my diabetic population and we've weaned medications, which happens all the time with successful ketosis, some of those individuals that get dawn phenomenon and the cortisol spike with the fasting blood sugar in the morning actually do well with having an evening snack. Um, and so it's a little bit of a, a, a horse on each end of the bank, I guess. But big picture, I would say if your disease risk is focused on glucose regulation as a primary focus, I would wait on carb cycling or kind of coordinate more tightly with your team. Um, same thing would be said, of course, if you're relying on ketones for your healthcare. So for those that are doing epile epileptic type diet as a therapy for epilepsy, we would not recommend carb cycling. Um, same thing as far as even in consideration of someone that has like MS, now that individual would really depend on the neurological benefits of still producing ketones and probably some light carb cycling would be appropriate for those individuals. So disease risk and understanding the mechanisms of either ketones or glucose in your disease management is the first thing to consider. 
Um, then I would consider also the mental and emotional role of what carbohydrates are for you as an individual. Um, I would also consider where you're at with your weight loss journey. So are you seeing continued progress? If so, probably don't, you know, if it's not broke, <laughs> don't try to fix it. So probably don't carb cycle. If you're seeing st continued streaming weight loss and you're not having any of those symptoms of imbalance, but if you've stalled, then this might be something to consider. Um, looking into your relationship with food and your perspective overall on the diet, as well as any of those other symptom shifts that I mentioned, the insomnia, the anxiety, the panic, what's happened in your body and hormonal shifts since you've gone keto. And are you seeing today more imbalance or more balance? These are all things to consider when you're thinking about carb cycling. And it's really essential that you journal because journaling is the best way to stay connected with your body and how dietary shifts create change in your body. It's a good way to kind of neutralize some of these relationships. Okay. So, so many things to, to really process here as far as if you want to consider it. And um, I think the important thing to remember is that if it doesn't go well, you don't have to do it again, or you don't have to do it again right away. So For how sure. do you know if it works well for you. Yeah. So, you know, I, within the journaling mindset, also ask these types of questions like, um, does it evoke cravings? Do you feel grounded or nourished? Do you feel flighty? Do you experience blood sugar shifts that are favorable or unfavorable? Other physiological shifts, as far as inflammatory shifts, did you have a dermatological reaction with a carb cycle? Did you have more joint aches or less joint aches? Did you have fluid shifts on the scale or in weight gain? Um, change in sleep quality? Did you have a change in hormonal function? Maybe when you brought in carb cycling, you had less clotting with your menstruation or you had a longer cycle to a normal range. Um, did you have more bloating or changes in bowels? All of these are things to determine what is best for you, whether you're going to stay in constant ketosis, whether you're going to do ketosis with use of carb cycling, or whether you're going to transition to more of a high fat, low carb, lower glycemic approach and kind of liberalize to that 50 grams or so of carbs. Awesome. So we talked about frequency of either one day a week, one day every other week, or more following your cycle in terms of days 19 through 20 and one to two. But what does a carb cycle actually look like? Okay. So, you know, we're talking about up to two to three options in the evening time, generally speaking, like I said. So, you know, once a week or twice a month. And on those days, rather than being at that total of 30 grams of carb restriction, that individual is going to go up to about 45 to 90 grams, probably more like 60 to 90, because they're adding, you know, 30 grams as a general recommendation in that evening time. Um, and then, like I said, some people will just fully transition into more of a 60 grams of carbs a day. So kind of doubling their base carbs and that could be strategic or spread throughout the day. But if doing a carb cycle, generally speaking, it's at one meal at 30 to 45 grams, which is going to bring the entire day upwards of 60 to 90 or 60 to 75 grams per day. So you're going to choose options from things like starchy vegetables, um, like we mentioned, the fruits beyond berries, and um, we're going to be unlimited with your non-starchy vegetables. So even liberalizing up on your cauliflower, your Brussels sprouts, and things like that that you might have had tighter control of when you were first getting fat adapted. 
Um, and, you know, remembering that your carb choices are on top of that base of 30. And so that's why your total intake, if you're tracking on like my fitness pal or something is going to be upwards of like 75 grams. And I generally don't recommend going over 90 total for most individuals because that's going to be starting to go from that low glycemic high fat diet to a little bit more of a moderate carbohydrate intake. And I'd still keep it low carbohydrate in general. Okay. And then following a carb cycle, we said maybe bringing back the fat fasting the next day, any um, strategy there or what to expect? So, you know, you'd want to maybe, if you're having a hard time getting back into ketosis, those days following carb cycle, you might be a little bit tighter on your vegetable fibers, you know, and your overall carbs. I definitely recommend incorporating fasting following a carb cycle because that can help to kind of accelerate that ring out, if you will. And, um, we can also um, be mindful throughout this whole process again with that journaling of being intuitive and listening to our body, um, creating a pro and con list of where these carbs fall in our life and you know how we had reactivity to that. Did it feel freeing and we're locked and loaded or did it feel tempting and now I want ice cream every night? You know, And if you fall off, the best thing to do is a six-week tight keto reset. So no carb cycling for six weeks, lock and load, download the event. And by that, I mean literally process what happened, what went wrong. And then next time you carb cycle after that six week reset or so, try a different type of food. So if you did fruits, maybe it was too high glycemic and you want to try starchy vegetables instead, um, you know, or maybe you want to incorporate it with your meal versus as a dessert. Um, and then some tools to consider, uh, a couple supplement tools I have to recommend would be our GI lining powder. So GI lining powder has L-glutamine in it, which has been shown in research to help with addiction and sugar craving specifically. So this is something that you can take a scoop at night to support against leaky gut and reduce inflammation and heal your gut lining. But you can also take it direct in your mouth to help with impulse control and sugar cravings. So if you find that carb cycling threw you off kilter, using that GI lining powder can help to get you right back on track. And then I always recommend a good quality multivitamin. So our multi-defense and a baseline probiotic, um, our baseline formula, one at bed, to help as foundational support for neurotransmitters and to regulate your appetite and cravings. Give you all the things like chromium and zinc and those nutrients we need as a foundation. Awesome. And then lastly, favorite part here, let's talk about a couple of your favorite food as medicine carb cycles. So I think I talked a lot about <laughs> the warming poached pears in yes. coconut with cinnamon <laughs> and ginger, and that's in the Naturally Nourished Cookbook. So go get a copy if you don't have one yet. And then um, on the blog, we can put a link to the cherry vanilla Nirvana smoothie. So um, that's good. A, yeah, it's an awesome one for insomnia too, because cherries help with melatonin production. So that can be a really great post-dinner. And I think that whole recipe is only like 20 grams of carbs. So you'd have to have that smoothie and then also have probably a starchy vegetable at your dinner. So that would work as a nice option. And then I would definitely mention the avocado chocolate mousse because that's another favorite for sure. Oh yeah. And then I'm thinking like in terms of getting back on track, um, maybe a couple other food options there. Yeah. So if you did a carb cycle and you want to make sure that you can kind of have something to nip in the bud, those carb cravings, making our chocolate peanut butter pudding keto style, it's that gelatin recipe we'll put in the notes as well. Um, you can do that by omitting the maple syrup and um, keep that keto style so that you have that in the evening, you know, after you had 
taught yourself that you could have a treat in the evening. <laughs> That's something you can do. So you have that to look forward to and still stay lower carb. And then I also would recommend making some fat bombs, anticipating your first carb cycle. So you have that pure fat as fuel to keep you back into fat adaptation and um, having a good batch of bone broth to sip on to also help with craving regulation. Awesome. So that all sounds really yummy and amazing. That's all we have for you guys today. So thank you so much for tuning in to the Naturally Nourished podcast. If you love what we're up to, please take a moment to pop over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review for our podcast, along with a sentence or two about why you love it. And then pop on over to Amazon to purchase and or review the Naturally Nourished cookbook, or to pre-order Allie's new book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. Yes, it takes a village to spread food as medicine to this world. <laughs> and we are happy to put in the work and fight the fight. So we really appreciate you guys paying it forward by sharing these episodes on your social media handles and um, definitely taking the moment to give us a review because that's what really helps with algorithms and, and putting it out there for more people to see. So I hope that today's information on carb cycling was helpful and it alleviates some anxiety and gives you a better understanding of the mechanisms involved. So if you are someone that is dealing with some of those symptoms mentioned, adding in carbs can shift your fuel to glucose to just refill that glycogen tank and give you a little bit of insulin to support that leptin synthesis or reset in the body. And that could have favorable influence on your body fat burn, your cravings, your mood and hormone stabilization. So thank you so much for listening in. Do what feels right. And remember that your vessel is your body. Listen to it when it needs shifts and focus big picture on nourishing with whole real foods. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.